This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. Sometimes when African-American punks are considered in the mainstream, there's a very narrow perception of their scope of creativity. For the past several months, KEXP contributor Martin Douglas has been compiling interviews with a handful of notable black punks in order to tell a story of the varied backgrounds they come from. You ain't nothing but a hound. It feels redundant at this point to mention the fact that black people invented rock and roll music. But while history has finally shined a favorable light on artists like Sister Rosetta Tharp and Big Mama Thornton, while recognizing the innovation and importance of Little Richard, Howlin' Wolf, and Chuck Berry, there's still a perception among some folks that rock music is a white art form. The same goes for punk rock. Ever since the Beatles left Hamburg, Germany and traded methamphetamine for acid, Punk has been the closest thing to the flavor of which rock and roll was originally intended. Fast, dirty, and more than a little dangerous. The culture of punk rock has had black denizens from the ground floor. Bad brains are always mentioned when this point is introduced. But what about a band called Death? They formed in Detroit, the same city as the Stooges and the MC5, yet weren't credited among those bands for creating a style punk drew its influence from until 30 years after the fact. And what about what was happening in Southern California when D.H. Poligro played drums for the Dead Kennedys and Glenn Lockett, better known as Spot, recorded albums for countless bands including The Minutemen and Black Flag? But this isn't about reiterating the contributions of punk artists who should have gotten their flowers for helping shape the genre a lot sooner. This is about the here and now. Black punks have existed since punks have existed, and we're still here helping push the culture forward. As it's been said many times, there's no such thing as a monolithic black experience. There is no single face of black punk. There are many representing our subculture, even though we're lumped into the same narrow group. Osa Atoy, creator of the influential fanzine Shotgun Seamstress, speaks to the idea that once we're placed in these boxes, we become practically interchangeable. I mean, as soon as there's more than one, we get confused for each other. It's happened to me my entire, uh, I guess my entire life, you know. It happened when I moved to New Orleans. Other Black punks would get confused with me. I felt like there was just a lot of hypocrisy wrapped up in that as punks who identify as anti-racist and want to believe that they're so much better than their non-punk white counterparts. The first issue of Shotgun Seamstress contains a letter Osa wrote to foundational punk magazine Maximum Rock and Roll in 2005 after she was confused for musician, dancer, and writer Brontez Purnell at an Oakland punk show. But she says that incident wasn't the reason she created the zine. The impetus for creating Shotgun Seamstress was really positive, actually. It came out of me finally making community with other Black punks and other punks of color. So I was living in Portland, Oregon before that, and everybody knows Portland, Oregon's um, really white. And I had a, a pretty wonderful experience there in spite of that, but I was looking for more community. And that actually was the impetus for writing the zine. It was just figuring out who to actually write to. Because um, when all your friends are white and, you're most, and most of your community is white, I mean, writing zines is like a lot like writing a letter. It's really personal. 
And I felt like I needed to be able to visualize who I was writing to. And so meeting other Black punks gave me an audience to visualize and gave me the words that I needed. I guess I'm fortunate because I read a lot about, I read things from Black folks who are like, well, you know, I loved I loved alternative rock and I was shunned by Black people or whatever. That, that wasn't my experience. For some of us, other Black people who were into punk were always around. Hanif Abdul-Rakib, National Book Award finalist and MacArthur Genius Grant recipient, was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. There, and this is true of many cities in the Midwest, plenty of Black people who liked punk music were around to show him the way. And I found Black folks who were into punk, like Black kids who were into punk. And for me, I didn't know any other way. Like the older people who put me on the punk songs were all Black folks. And so for me, I was like, I know Black people love this music. And then when I went out into the world of going to shows and all that, I found Black folks pretty easily. Usually I'm the only Black kid at shows. It's usually I'm the only Black person. James Spooner directed the 2003 documentary Afropunk, an incisive and sometimes messy search for identity in a world that tries to deny you of that. It's a film that continues to resonate with audiences two decades since its release. Last year, Spooner published the book The High Desert, a story based on his upbringing. The High Desert is a graphic novel that came out in May. It's a memoir about my first year finding punk. I grew up in this small desert town in Southern California. Being in this small town that was filled with Nazi skins and very little ethnic diversity. So my intro to punk was a whole lot of like, you don't belong here. The journey of the book is me questioning, do I belong? And are black people allowed to be part of this? And wading through all of that kind of muck to find DIY and the the magic and, and empowerment that comes from the do-it-yourself movement. For James, the subject matter of his first book was inevitable. You know, in my 20s, when I made Afropunk, I saw the effect very quickly. And I realized I was like validating people's experience, which, I mean, is a beautiful experience and feeling. But I remember thinking like, oh, I don't want to be the Afropunk guy. And then as I started to look back on my life, if I want to tell a story about my life, I have to include being a black punk, you know? Like, it informs everything. If I wrote a story about being a father, I would still have to talk about being a black punk, you know? It's integral to everything that I am. Stephanie Phillips, writer and singer-guitarist for Big Joni, grew up in the United Kingdom city of Wolverhampton in a family of Jamaican immigrants. Her mother listened to Whitney Houston and lots of Motown, and her father listened to reggae. Like many kids in the UK, she watched Top of the Pops every Friday night, but then there was a sea change in the type of music she gravitated towards. In an interview, you had this really great quote that I would love for you to expand upon, and it was that... You went from Destiny's Child to Riot Girl. Tell me about about that part of your life. Sure. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, on, on paper, that sounds like a big leap. But when you're 13 and they're kind of presented to you, to you in a similar way of, you know, these are both women, they're singing about being women and being friends together. And they also kind of 
want to promote their independence. Like, Destiny's Child had an independent women's song, and I took that literally. And then, you know, a few years later, I found Riot Girl, and they basically had their independent women's song, and I took that literally as well. Stephanie explains that she spent years looking for an outlet for expression. In the 90s and, you know, early noughties when I was growing up and becoming a teenager, it, there wasn't much of a conversation around racism or tackling racism or even acknowledging it existed really in, in the UK, especially at that time, because it was kind of the, uh, we're all one, we're all kind of a multicultural society, but, and, you know, nothing bad ever happens, but also bad things always happen to, mm-hmm. to black and brown people. So yeah, so kind of trying to kind of deal with that and to kind of put that into words, I really was really beneficial at, to, you know, with finding right girl and finding that kind of punk music and knowing that you could kind of be loud in a very safe way. Having those records and having that kind of hobby and, you know, looking up different bands every night on on my family computer at home and going through the Kill Rock Stars um, website to find new bands and hearing about the gossip and La Tigra and Slater Kinney and Heavens to Betsy and all those bands. It was like this whole new world was unleashed to me and that then led me to politics, led me to feminism, led me to all these different things, but it all really started with punk and riot girl and, and that that kind of way of being. Hanif explains the necessity of having people who look like you in a scene where it's not exactly the norm. If we ever felt like outsiders, then we felt like outsiders together. And that was important. You know, it was important to have people to lean on in that process of sometimes feeling like an outsider. It's almost comical or depressing, take your pick, how many different groups and identities are made to feel like outsiders in America. Punk rock was created for outsiders. So it makes sense that a lot of Black kids gravitated towards the culture, the lifestyle, the religion of punk rock. For over five centuries, we've been othered by the so-called dominant culture and society. It's something that obviously made us feel disenfranchised, but punk gave us a community in that feeling of alienation. Hanif describes the togetherness of his community of Black punks in his younger years. Really, the serendipity of just finding my people early and um, creating a bond where we felt like we needed each other to survive the sometimes treacherous landscape of the space. And particularly, honestly, like not only like straight cis black men, you know, there were like black queer folks. And I had, I had known, you know, my, my, my neighborhood and my school, there were black queer folks. And so th- none of this was new to me, but to have it kind of mapped out um, onto a scene that I was, that I was loving and a scene that was prioritizing community to have a community of people who, looked like me and were existing at several different intersections. That's what kept me there. That search for like-minded people who truly understand your perspective was at the forefront of Stephanie's mind when she was party to forming Big Joni. I'd been in a feminist punk band for about two years before Big Joni started. And as much as it was really fun for me, really kind of fundamental to how much I knew I loved music and for my playing and, you know, wanted to be, I still felt like there was something missing or I was the odd one out and that I needed a bit more uh, support around. I, I wanted to not feel like the weirdo. I wanted to have other black people around me, basically. 
Themes pertaining to social justice, like feminism and anti-racism, have always been prevalent in punk communities, to the point where some are introduced to concepts such as these at a very young age. James Spooner illustrates this point. When I talk to a lot of people who didn't grow up in the punk scene, they're shocked that, you know, a group of 16-year-olds are, like, arguing over veganism and whether it should be you know, militant or education, you know, it's not mm-hmm. even an argument about whether to be vegan or not. Like we're both vegan. We're arguing <laughs> about the, the nuances, you know. Another aspect of punk is the concept of DIY or do-it-yourself culture. Because of, you know, institutional oppression, Black people have always had to be resourceful. When some of us became punks, we took to DIY like the proverbial fish to water. James Spooner talks about how the DIY approach he's been using for every creative endeavor has benefited him when he published his first book. You know, when I was 17, I started a record label. And like punk just like fosters all of that energy. So learning those lessons in DIY very early set the course for my whole life. So even now, I'm in my mid-40s and my book came out in May and I've done at least 40 events around it. And most people, like most other authors and my publishers are like, this is crazy. Like you, they only helped me out with like two events, you know? (laughs) Um, People are like, you know, who don't know about the publishing business are like, oh, like, are they booking these events for you? And it's like, no, this is DIY. Like I'm doing the same thing I was doing then, you know, Uh, using this community to spread a message. Meanwhile, Osa Toy not only wrote a fanzine, but she also booked lots of shows for bands fronted by women, non-binary, and queer people in New Orleans. She speaks on the experience of booking those gigs and the welcoming spaces DIY shows can create. So all of the shows that I put on were DIY. A lot of these are like house shows, warehouse shows, cafes, generator shows. And again, like they were all fronted by women, non-binary people, and queers. Every single band, every single show. Contrary to any stereotypes that might be out there, Black punks live multitudinous lives and have experiences totally unique to one another. What we are united by is the ethos of punk culture, individuality, artistry, community, and not waiting for other people to greenlight our creative aspirations. For Sound Division, I'm Martin Douglas. That was Sound and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and consider giving a one-time $20 donation to help support this show at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening.